0: God's Word. Today's scripture comes from the book of Galatians, second chapter, verses 11 through 14. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs." This is the word of God for the people of God.
1: Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank thank you, Bruce. In the uh, church calendar, this Thursday is a special day. It's called Ascension Day. It is the uh, 40th day of Easter and this is the day that we remember Jesus leaving the earth and taking his place on the throne of heaven. Uh, And after that, his disciples stay and pray in Jerusalem, and they are waiting for the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes upon them on this special day, the Jewish festival of Pentecost, and starting on that day, many, many people come to believe in Jesus Pentecost is then always celebrated on the 50th day of Easter, which this year falls on May 23rd. This year, I am inviting you to join with me uh, and as we come together with people all over the world in praying for a special purpose from Ascension Day to Pentecost. And it's part of a worldwide movement called By Kingdom Come. In this, Christians of all denominations are going to pray for people they know to come to faith in Jesus. This year, people from more than 80 denominations across more than 100 countries will be praying. I'd like to show you this two-and-a-half-minute video which tells us a little bit about this prayer movement and its history. Let's watch.
2: God placed on the Archbishops of Canterbury and York's heart the importance of evangelism and witness. And of course, this must start in prayer. So in 2016, the Archbishops of Canterbury and York put out a call to prayer. The message was to the Anglican Church worldwide to pray for people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. They decided this should happen between Ascension to Pentecost drawing on the traditional times of prayer as the disciples did in Acts 1 and 2. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Then they returned to Jerusalem and were constantly devoting themselves to prayer. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. Before long, Roman Catholics, Methodists, Baptists, and many other denominations across the world began to join in Thy Kingdom Come, rediscovering the richness of this historic tradition. Momentum quickly built up, with Christians in different countries around the world beginning to pray together during these 11 days for five people they knew to become Christians. Year on year, more Christians joined the global wave of prayer, gathering to pray in small groups, churches, families, and as individuals. Prayer took place everywhere, in the streets and in church buildings, in schools and in community spaces, in homes and on public transport, all over the place. Sometimes they prayed continuously for the 11 days and other times they prayed in the mornings and evenings or as a family together or an individual saying a five-minute prayer on the go. People gathered to pray and celebrate, irrespective of their ecumenical differences. Roman Catholics and Methodists, Pentecostals and Anglicans, Baptists and Orthodox, side by side praying for the presence of the Holy Spirit to work in them for others. Now Christians in more than 100 countries are uniting in this prayer. Come Holy Spirit, let your kingdom come during this time. Will you join us?
1: Okay, so here are the basics. Uh, pray daily from May 13th to the 23rd about two things. First, pray for five people you know who don't yet know Jesus. They could be friends, family, neighbors, coworkers, classmates. Pray that they would discover for themselves the difference that Jesus makes. And then, including the praying for those five, pray for yourself. That the Spirit will work through you as the way we call it here, that as a blessed friend. Uh, now, you can pick whatever way you want to participate. Uh, plan. Uh, you, can, you can pray at home five minutes a day. You can visit our chapel. It's going to be open 830 to 3 every day. Uh, ask someone to be your prayer partner and get together, together several times. Hold a prayer session with your small group. Um, you can pray for your neighborhood sitting out on a park bench. You can go on a prayer walk. You can pray for your five people maybe at family meal times, or come up with your own way to do it. Um, Tony, I'm going to ask, I'm getting a little ring. Are you hearing that out there? No? Okay, it's just me. All right. And between now and Wednesday, uh, here's the thing. Come up with your five, your five people who don't yet know Jesus and decide then how you want to participate in this. Now, tomorrow's Faith Connect email is going to give you a review of everything that I just said. So you can go back and read it for yourself and remember, okay, what was that all about again? So let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, you called us to believe in you. You won over our hearts with your persistent love. And you sent people into our path who made us curious about you. Now, Lord, send us to others so that your persistent love may win over their hearts. Show us who we can begin to pray for. And all God's people said, amen. By the way, I want to join Russ in wishing you all a happy Mother's Day. I am blessed that this afternoon we have plans to uh, drive down and, and see my parents and wish my mom a happy Mother's Day. You may be wondering about these panels that are here. Those are new, um, and we're kind of experimenting with how we want to use them and how we want to place them. And, uh, but they, we're looking for ways to enhance especially our online presence and, and uh, make that, uh, make that a, a feel-good thing there as well. Um, when, when a couple has been married for 50 years or more, and they tell me that they've never had an argument I'm thinking what a sweet couple but when I hear they've never had an argument over their 50, entire 50 year plus marriage I wonder okay what's really going on maybe they've never argued because one of them always gives in to the other it's an easy way to avoid conflict not a healthy way or maybe they've never argued and now they have a lot of unresolved conflict you know all that they've been sweeping under the rug has turned into a giant mountain but they're afraid to talk about it or maybe they have argued but they prefer to present a perfect image to the world they have a strict no dirty laundry policy my belief is that if two imperfect people share life together, there will be conflict. But conflict is not always bad. In fact, conflict is often necessary. What makes all the difference is how we conduct our conflict and, and how we arrive at solutions. And the same is true in all our relationships, even among Jesus' people. Today is week five in our Sixth Sunday series called Craving Community, and we're all about following Jesus and learning his way of life, which means we have to learn how to do conflict well. The Apostle Paul uh, was no stranger to conflict. In most of his letters, there's conflict there. He was confronting people. He, he was writing to them to correct them and to convince them. He loved these people, and he didn't want to see them led astray. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul tells how one time he even confronted the apostle Peter when they were in Antioch. Antioch was home base for Paul's mission work, and there there were a lot of Gentile Christians there. At one point, Peter is also in Antioch, and one day a group of Jewish Christians uh, from Jerusalem shows up. And they were very strict about maintaining separation between Jews and Gentiles, even as Christians. So here's the story. Uh, From what Bruce read, uh, Galatians 2, verse 11, Paul starts as, when Cephas, that's the Aramaic name for Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. You know, it was just like Paul. To be so direct, right? In, your, in his face, he says. And when he says that, that Peter stood condemned, he's not saying that Peter lost his salvation. He's saying that Peter was, in this case, clearly wrong. What was he wrong about? Well, when, when Peter first arrived in Antioch, he had no problem eating in the homes of Gentile Christians. That's what Paul says in verse 12. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with Gentiles. But Peter stops eating with his Gentile sisters and brothers when these people from Jerusalem sent by James show up. Who's James? Well, James was the brother of Jesus and the head elder of the church in Jerusalem. And the people he sent didn't mind, they didn't mind Gentiles becoming Christians, that's okay, but they did not like Jewish and Gentile Christians mixing together, especially over mealtime. It was just In their minds, it sent the wrong message. Paul explains what happened. He says, But when they arrived, he, that is Peter, began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was what? Say the next word with me. He was afraid. Afraid of those who belong to the circumcision group, that is the Jewish group. So, you know... Bless Peter, he was trying hard to avoid a conflict. But sometimes when you do that, the problem only gets bigger. Verse 13. The other Jews joined him, joined him in this hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Barnabas? Paul's best mission buddy, Barnabas? How could he do that? FYI, the word translated hypocrisy means putting on a show, not being genuine. And the clear implication here is that, that Gentile Christians are somehow second class. They're not quite as good as Jewish Christians. And if for them to move up to first class, they, well, they, they'd have to become Jewish Christians. Now, Paul can clearly see that the integrity of the gospel is at stake here. Only when we are brought together, we are one in Christ, Jews and Gentiles, are we preaching the true gospel. And then verse 14, Paul tells us what Paul said to Peter. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel... I said to Cephas in front of them all, meaning all the Jewish Christians who were following Peter's example, you are a Jew, and yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? That was the show that Peter and the other Jewish Christians were putting on. Suddenly they're acting like they're better than their, Jewish, their Gentile sisters and brothers. And Paul knows, got to call him on it. You know, I admire Paul for not backing off here. I think it took some courage to call out Peter, you know? I, I, yeah, I wish we knew more of this story. This is a little snippet, that's, and this is all we know of it. But now for the rest of the message, I want to share with you some instruction that I've gleaned from the Apostle Paul in his letters about healthy conflict. And so I would encourage you to write these down and take them home. Talk about them in your your faith group this week, okay? First, when you need to confront someone, open gently. Open gently. If you want to have a healthy conflict... (laughs) Don't go in blazing hot, right? Later in the letter, Paul advises Galatians sisters and brothers about how to help each other and guide each other when one of them gets off track or causes harm or problems. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person. How? Gently. Our purpose is not to attack our purpose is to restore, uh, that, I mean, that's what it says, right? To restore that person. Now, was Paul gentle when he, uh, with his approach when he, uh, with Peter and the other hypocritical Jewish Christians? Well, it doesn't really tell us enough to know that. But it seems to me that he does confront without attacking. He's simply pointing out their inconsistency and the harm that it causes. You know, churches of all shapes and sizes have conflicts. And healthy churches, we learn to not attack one another. You know, if something that it needs to be changed, okay. Let's look at it. Bring it up. Let's talk about it. But don't blow a gasket. Open the conversation gently. Remain calm. Be respectful. And then second... Dial down defensiveness. You would say that one with me? Dial down defensiveness. I would say in the first uh, 20 years or so of our marriage, Trish used to ask me once in a while, why are you being so defensive? To which I replied, I'm not being defensive. (laughs) Defensiveness was kind of a natural reaction for me. I, I had to learn... To dial it down. Romans 12, 14 says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So if we can respond with blessing and not cursing to those who persecute us, surely we can do the same with our sisters and brothers who lovingly confront us. When I dial down my defensiveness, I can even learn to be thankful for that feedback. Even when it makes me uncomfortable. Maybe they're revealing a a blind spot that I need to examine. Let's say that someone here um, lovingly, gently gives me feedback that a remark in a recent message could be interpreted as dismissive of, let's say, Asian people. A defensive reply would be, I'm not a racist. But if I dial down my defensiveness, if I stay open-minded, if I ask questions, I might just learn something. Third, make room for disagreement. I am responsible for what is taught in this church, right? I mean, that's part of my ordination. The authority that is given to me to be responsible for what is taught in this church So it's in upholding the historic doctrines of Scripture as taught by the United Methodist Church. But within that core of unity, Methodism allows for some latitude of thought. I think that's one of the hallmarks of Methodism, right? In an essay uh, called The Character of a Methodist written by our founder, John Wesley, he wrote, but as to all opinions Which do not strike at the root of Christianity, we think and let think. Sounds like good advice to me, right? (laughs) Let me say it again. But as to all opinions which do not strike at the root of Christianity, we think and let think. The Apostle Paul said very much the same thing to the Roman believers who were divided between Jews and Gentiles. He says, one person considers one day more sacred than another. He's talking about the Saturday Sabbath. Uh, Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Think and not think. My first year at Faith Westwood, someone told me an important truth about this church. He said... People here realize that there's more than one way to do things. And uh, I hope that's a quality that we always hang on to. Right? Fourth, don't make winning your goal. If your goal is to win every conflict, then you've already lost. You see, the goal is not to create winners and losers. The goal is to live together in harmony, to be community in Christ. Things had gotten so bad uh, among the uh, disciples in Corinth that a few of them were taking each other to court to settle their differences because they couldn't resolve their issues on their own. And Paul's reaction is, really? He says, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated?" Surely among all the believers in Corinth, there's a wise person who could be trusted to mediate your differences? Okay, you went together on this deal, you lost some money, you're upset, but consider the reputation of our Lord and Savior. What's that worth? And it's the same with any conflict. If winning is our goal, we've already lost. Years ago a friend of one of our kids spent the night and dropped something on the living room carpet that stained it, we couldn't get it out. Professional people couldn't get it out. We talked to our insurance company about it, trying to decide, you know, should we set up a claim or not? And, and the only way that they would deal with it is that they would go to that kid's parents and then to their insurance company. And we started just very cautiously down that path, but. Right away, we just said, stop. We're not doing this. These people, they are family in Christ, and we are not going to jeopardize that. We'll either live with the stain or replace the carpet ourselves. We ended up putting a chair over the stain. (laughs) It worked, right? Finally, strive to bring out the best in each other. Sometimes a conflict can be solved, and sometimes it can't be solved, and you have to learn how to live with it. And it takes wisdom to know the difference. But our goal is always to bring out the best in each other. And that's what Paul told the believers to do in Rome. He said, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Make, make what? every effort. That's a, that's a big uh, call, isn't it? Make every effort toward peace. Now, peace means healthy relationships. And every effort toward mutual edification, which is building each other up, bringing out the best. So, how do we deal with conflicts? Well, I'm not saying that these five things are exhaustive. There, there could easily be more, but I think these are important. How do we deal with conflicts in the community of Christ? You know, I don't think we're engaged in, embroiled in a huge conflict today, but who knows what will happen down the road. I think about, uh, what, eight or nine years ago when we were trying to decide, you know, are we going to be one church with water's edge or two? That was kind of an emotional time. We made it through. So how do we deal with conflicts? Open gently. Dial down defensiveness. Make room for disagreement. Don't make winning your goal. And strive to bring out the best in each other. Isn't that the kind of community you want to be a part of? Let's pray. Give us grace, dear God. To live in peace with one another. Give us wisdom, dear God, to know when to speak up. Give us love, dear God, to confront gently. Give us humility, dear God, to remember that we are also sinners. Give us faith, dear God, to believe that you are at work in each person's life. now I'd like to give us a full minute so we can each bring to God what is, whatever's on our heart today. now let's join together in the prayer of Jesus's community our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation